Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, chapter number 16. At this time, Bridge kids are dismissed. That's great, grades K through five. Your teachers are at the back. Is this the Sunday? All right, where are the teachers? Okay, they're ready for you. Go with Miss Emily. Matthew chapter number 16, beginning with verse number one. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse number one. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather. For the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today. For the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that, that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, last week, we heard the narrative, the story about a Canaanite woman. This Canaanite woman came to Jesus because her daughter was oppressed by a devil, a demon. And the text says that Jesus answered her not a word. She continued to cry out, Lord, help me. And Jesus told, told her and told his disciples that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this Canaanite woman said to the Lord Jesus, 
but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And at that point, Jesus said to her, O woman of great faith, great is your faith. We don't hear Jesus commend the disciples' faith. He doesn't commend uh, anyone from Israel's faith, but he commends this woman's great faith. Now, as we approach chapter number 16, we move from someone who had great faith to a group of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who had no faith. They come to Jesus and ask Jesus, demand from Jesus a sign from heaven. They want a sign like no other sign they had ever seen before. They wanted something from heaven, something that could not be copied. They asked for a sign from heaven and Jesus says to them, you're not getting it. You're not getting, he says, you know how to look at the sky and, and predict the weather. You know how to interpret the weather, but you can't interpret what's happening right before your very eyes. You've seen and heard the miracles I've performed, the teachings that I've taught, and yet here you are still demanding a sign. He says, I will not give you what you will, are asking for. The only sign you will get is the sign of Jonah, the sign of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, going, dying, and going into the belly of the earth. And then coming out three days later, his death and his resurrection was the only sign that they were going to get. And thus Jesus called them an evil, an adulterous gen generation. They are spiritually blind. They walk in darkness. They have no faith in Jesus. We move then from the great faith of a Canaanite woman to, to the, the, the no faith of the Jewish leaders. By the way, Normally, we hear about the scribes and the Pharisees getting together to oppose Jesus. But now the Sadducees have popped up on the scene. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And here Jesus is telling them, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, me coming up from the grave. Two, two parties that had nothing in common. Imagine Democrats and Republicans getting together to oppose some candidate. These Pharisees and Sadducees, enemies will collude when they want to rival someone, something. Here they are, these Pharisees and the Sadducees come together, and Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get is the one you don't believe in. So we move from great faith to no faith, and then we move into the next scene of little faith. The disciples, the scene changes, and disciples realize we didn't bring any bread. Jesus performed this miracle of 4,000, made up mostly of Gentiles, and he feeds them, and they've got leftovers. They move to a new scene, and yet they forget the bread. And here they are discussing it among themselves. Can you imagine them? Y'all, we forgot the bread. It's your fault. You forgot the bread. No, I, you forgot. You had a, a, a basket, too. I had a basket. No, you forgot. You should have remembered. You... No. They are discussing it among themselves. And Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, watch out and beware of the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees. They hear leaven and they say to each other, but we didn't bring no bread. <laughs> they start talking about bread again. They are consumed with the physical, the natural. They are concerned about their physical needs. They, they are so concerned with their 
earthly needs that they overlook the spiritual. This is one of the many hindrances to deeper faith. The things of this world, being consumed with the things of this world. And Jesus has already taught them about this, about worrying about what they would eat and what they would drink in the Sermon on the Mount. He told them, don't worry about the clothes you will wear or the food you will eat, but seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. Beloved, what hinders our faith is being consumed with the things of this world. We seek earthly treasure above heavenly treasure. We seek the things below rather than the things above. And this hinders us in growing in our faith. Concern for the things of this world is what makes these disciples have little faith. But not only is it the things of this world that hinders the growth and development of their faith, but it is also, according to Jesus, is the, the, their forgetfulness. Jesus rebukes them in verse number eight. He says that they have little faith because they are so concerned about bread. He asked them, do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves that I fed the 5,000 with or the seven loaves that I fed the 4,000 with and how many baskets you gathered? Jesus attributes their little faith in this moment to their forgetfulness. They forgot how much he had already provided for thousands of people with just a little bit. They, they forgot, and that caused them to have little faith in this moment. Beloved, we oftentimes are just like these disciples. We worry and have little faith or no faith because we forget. We forget how God has already provided in the past. We forget how God has already made a way of what seemed like no way. We forget how God has already healed in the past. We forget how God has mended relationships. So forgetfulness hinders our faith. And so Jesus implies that the solution to little faith is to remember what he's already done. So Jesus rebukes them and they remember that he said the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look at verse 12. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, watch out. Beware. Because everything that sounds good is not good and sound. You got to be beware of who you podcast. You, you got to beware of who you listen to even on CBN. You, you, ooh, y'all didn't say nothing then. I must have stepped on some toes. You, you, you got to watch out for who you listen to on Christian radio. Because just because they have a platform don't mean they are gospel-centered. He said, you got to beware. You got to watch out. You, you got to beware and you got to watch out because this life is not about your best life now. Because my Bible says, and my Lord says, in this world you will have trouble. So somebody lying. Thank you. Watch out. Watch out. There, yeah, I don't know if you're talking about me or him, but yeah, watch out. <laughs> And finally, verse 12, then they understood. Watch the progression. You've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees who don't know, they know nothing. Then you, you, you get the disciples in the next scene, and Jesus says, do you not yet perceive? 
So it seems like an emphasis that's running through these passages is this idea of perception, understanding, comprehension, being able to see. It was John Newton who said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind. There you go. But now I see. And that's what we see happening right now with this, these disciples. Their sight is being refined. They're having a deeper and a growing understanding of Christ and his teachings now. That was my introduction. <laughs> Let's get now to verse number 13. Jesus now administers, we've got a new scene. Jesus now administers the first Gallup poll, the first public opinion survey. He asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. Jesus gets down to the heart of the matter. He says, but who do y'all say that I am? That you there is in the plural in the original language. It's not one person he's asking. He's asking the whole group, who do y'all say that I am? Beloved, this is the question that every man, woman, boy, and girl must answer. This is the question whose answer has eternal consequences. Who do you say Jesus is? Then my boy Peter responds on behalf of all the disciples and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter here confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the one that the prophets prophesied about. He is the long-awaited Savior of Israel. He is the hope of the world. And he calls him, he says, not only are you the Messiah, but you are God. Because he says, you are the son of the living God. This is the great confession. And Jesus responds to Peter in verse 16. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter is blessed or, or privileged because his confession was not the result of human cleverness. His confession was not the result of human wisdom, reason, or intellect. No, he, his confession was the result of divine revelation. And you know this could have been what Peter came up with because next week we're going to see that God, Jesus, as soon as this scene is over, Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. His, his eyes have been opened. He was blind, but now he sees. What's happening here, friends, is what we studied back in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The Father chose to reveal to his disciples who Jesus was. He enlightened their minds. So just a brief, a couple of observations. One, revelation precedes faith. God himself must first reveal to us who he is for us to have faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved, this, this is the reality of human depravity. Without God, we are the Pharisees and Sadducees. We can be religious, we can know the law backward and forward, but without God intervening, we would never know who Jesus is. 
So Jesus says, in verse number 18, he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter says, you are the Christ. Now Jesus responds to him, you are Peter. That, which means rock, stone, pebble. Jesus uses that name, and then he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Y'all ready to have some fun? Ain't nobody got time for that this morning. What is the rock on which the church will be built? Our friends down the street here, the Catholics, with their nice building, they would say Peter is the rock on which the church is built. They would say that Peter is the first pope of the church. And now the papacy, all the other popes, follow in his lineage. And because they are the popes, they have the ability to interpret scripture, to make, to, to not only interpret scripture, but, but their word, what they interpret, what they say, what they reveal is, is on the same level as the word of God. That's, that's a really brief, basic summary of the Catholic view of this passage. There's another view, what I call the confessional view. By the way, let me back up. There are Protestants who also believe that Peter is the rock. They don't get into all that Pope stuff, but they believe that Peter is the rock on which the church is built. He is, is, is the foundational stone on which the church is built. And they are that, that this is what we see in the book of Acts. Peter preaches the first gospel-centered evangelistic message and people come to faith as a result. He calls them to repent, believe, and be baptized and thousands are saved. And, and, they, and you see this happening. He opens the doors for, the, for Jews and then he opens the doors for Gentiles. So Peter is the rock to the Protestant, according to our Protestant view. But then there's a third view, the confessional view. The confessional view says the rock is not Peter, but the rock is the confession that Peter made. The, this view argues that it is on it is based on faith in the confession that Jesus is the Messiah on which the church will be built. Now, I'm going to allow you to pick two out of those three views. You know which one you can't pick. <laughs> All right, now, what, 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 what we're not going to do is get mad and angry with one another over which one of those two we pick. Now, you want to know, Pastor, what, what do you think? You got to buy me lunch. <laughs> no matter what the rock is, is what we learn though in this is that Jesus is the master builder of the church. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus is the builder of the church. And whatever that rock is, Jesus is taking that rock and he has built his church. Beloved, let, let, let me just, can I put a parenthesis in this sermon? Strategies don't build the church. Being secret sensitive don't build the church. Having fancy buildings don't build the church. Having big old screens won't build the church. Having great music won't build the church. Jesus builds his church. And so what we need to do is make much of Jesus. Jesus needs to be the main attraction. Not the singers, as good as they sing. Y'all sung to me this morning. Thank you, thank you, for, thank you. Not the singers, not the band, not the building, not the preacher, not the pastor, not even the location. <laughs> they said, don't you put no church in the hood. It can't support it. Jesus can, though. 
Jesus is building his church. And Jesus says, watch this, I'm going to be such a good builder. You don't even need a warranty on it. He, he says, I'm going to give you my own security. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The, the, the original language there is, they would, some would argue that it says the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Hades is the place of the dead. And so what Jesus is saying, I like this, by the way, what Jesus is saying is that not even death can overcome what he's building. Even because what Jesus is about to tell them in the next scene, I might as well, I should have just preached that one. What Jesus is about to tell them in the next scene is that I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to be crucified there on the cross. I'm going to die. But just don't think because I died on the cross that the church won't be built. Not even death, not even the, the apostles' death will end the church. Jesus is building his church. We, we are in this pandemic right now. We've seen businesses fall all throughout history. We've seen empires fall. But guess what's still standing? The church is still standing. Why? Because Jesus is building his church. That's why we endure. That's why we persevere. Because Jesus has promised us that he will build his church. And can't no devil in hell stop this building project. Jesus says, I will build my church. Whatever that rock is, whether it's Peter or Peter's confession. And people who really say know that it's the confession. But anyways. <laughs> ain't that right, Dominic? <laughs> so Jesus first, he points out the revelation. Jesus is the Christ, the, the Messiah. Son of the living God. But, he's, but he teaches us something here. That with revelation comes a responsibility. Watch this, watch this. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Help us, Jesus. What are the keys? By the way, this part is just as hotly debated as the first part about the rock. What are the keys? Let, let me do my best homework with you real quick. Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25, I think, helps us here. Isaiah chapter 25, beginning with verse number 20, says, In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority, remember their word, to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. What's happening here? So through Isaiah, God announces that he was taking the authority of the Messianic house from Shebna and was committing it to someone else called Eliakim. And the key given to the house of David, uh, the key was the sign of the possession of delegated authority. The key was the symbol of authority. Thus, when Jesus tells Peter that I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom, the king is giving the keys to Peter and saying, now I'm giving you authority. This has been passed on to Peter. And Peter, now having the keys, will authoritatively instruct and legislate in the kingdom. Beloved, we see this happening at the very end of Matthew, when we, what we call the Great Commission. We normally start with go therefore and make disciples. But right the verse right before go therefore and make disciples is this. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. So he who has all authority now authorizes his disciples to go and make more disciples. The keys are have been given to the apostles to do what Jesus did. 
And so now, Peter having the keys will authoritatively instruct and legislate in the kingdom. What do I mean by instruct and legislate? To legislate means to instruct with reference to entrance and continuing in the kingdom. To legislate means to instruct with reference to entrance, who gets in, and who continues in the kingdom. Peter, as the key holder, has the authority to announce the conditions upon which a person becomes a member of the church of Jesus Christ. He also has the authority to announce the conditions by which one remains in fellowship in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Show it to me, Pastor. Matthew chapter number 18. If if you find a brother who is in sin and they are unrepentant, you go to them in private. And if he repents, you've gained a brother. He doesn't, now you've got to take a couple of witnesses with you. If he repents, you've gained a brother. If he still doesn't repent, you tell it to the church. If he repents, you've gained a brother. If he still doesn't repeat, Jesus says, then you treat him as a Gentile. Treat him like an unbeliever. Since he's acting like an unbeliever, treat him like an unbeliever. Here's what Jesus says. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Where two or three gather in my name. That's the context, by the way, of that verse. There I will be in the midst of them. You cannot continue in blatant, open, public, unrepentant sin and remain in good fellowship in the kingdom. This is how Peter which is passed along to the church because he says, tell it to the church. This is how the keys are exercised in the kingdom. We announce how you get into the kingdom. That's called the gospel. So as we proclaim the gospel, we are exercising the keys of the kingdom. As we we continue in the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42, we are exercising the keys of the kingdom. We are announcing this is how you enter. That's what keys do. They unlock. So he says, this is how you get in. When we announce the gospel, we are exercising the keys of the kingdom under the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. But you got to be a good witness for Jesus Christ as well. Jesus is concerned not only about our salvation, but also our sanctification how we are becoming more like Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And when you act like sanctification doesn't matter, Jesus says it's time to get out the keys. We exercise the keys when we are trying to regain unrepentant brothers and sisters. And when they refuse to repent after we've gone to them privately with two or three witnesses, now the church gets involved and we have to exercise our keys, our authority. As a body, we exercise that keys. And we, now, when we tell it to the church, let me get off real quick. When we talk about telling it to the church, this is not about public shaming. Jesus has dealt with our shame at the cross. And so we, we don't tell it to the church for public shaming. We tell it to the church to say, we need y'all to join us in prayer because they are, they are in danger because of their unrepentant sin. We, we join us in praying with them. But that also means not only are you going to join us in prayer, but when you see them, we're not just going to have small talk. It's time to exercise the keys. You try, you, you, you confront them lovingly with their sin to bring them back into good fellowship with Christ and the body of Christ. That's why we tell it to the church. And this is how we exercise the keys of the kingdom that we've been given. All right. 
So Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That's the responsibility based on the revelation we've been giving is to exercise the keys of the kingdom. But he says, whatever, whatever you bind in heaven shall be bound. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, everybody say context. Keys of the kingdom have been given based on this confession of faith. Right now, this has, y'all, this has nothing to do with demonic forces. Oftentimes when we hear this terminology of binding and loosening, we talk about the devil and his demons. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he talks about binding and loosing. This is an Aramaic expression Binding is, is what is uh, uh, forbidden, and loose has to do what we loose, or what is loose has to do with what is permitted. So we're talking about what's permitted and what is forbidden in the kingdom. I'm done. What do we do? What do we do with this? Obviously, this text has something to tell us about faith. We went from great faith to no faith to to little faith to what I call a decisive faith with Peter's confession. Peter stands flat-footed and says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Last week, we had this discussion about faith, but friend, If Jesus were evaluating your faith, I ask you this question that I asked you last week. No faith, little faith, decisive faith, great faith. Where do you need to grow in your faith in Jesus? Every person has to answer this question. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a good man, a good moral teacher, a prophet? If that's where you find yourself answering this question, then you are part of the evil and adulterous generation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And friend, The truth of the matter is that gives you a one-way ticket to hell where God dispenses his wrath against all sin. But what the text helps us to see that is if you believe Jesus, if you answer the question, who do you say that I am, and you believe him to be the Christ, the Messiah, the, the Savior, the forgiver of our sins, then the Bible says that, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so we hope that for somebody in this room or on this stream, when the question is asked, who do you say that I am, that you hear clearly that Jesus is the one who has paid your penalty in full. So now that all you do is respond by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this question has eternal ramifications. Who do you say that Jesus is? Respond like Peter. Jesus is the Christ. Believe in your heart and with your mind that Jesus is the Savior of your sins. I think this verse, these, this text also tells us that we need to beware and we need to watch out for false teaching. That, that, that's, that's, that's why you need to be in the word. That's why you need to gather with the rest of the believers on Sundays where the teaching of God's word is happening by the pastors that Christ has given to the church. 
You've got to be careful that that even in the church, you don't become pharisaical and like a Sadducee. That you go back into legalism and trying to earn favor with God by how you act and how you behave. You got to watch out. False teaching. But I think this passage helps us to change our attitude about the church. Jesus says, I will build my church. And to Peter and through Peter, the church has been given the keys of the kingdom. So what does that mean for us? That means we need to be engaged in the church. Can can I give you one more parenthesis? Our attitude towards the church, we got to get it right, y'all. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about the church. Jesus gave himself up for the church. Jesus is the bride of Christ. Do you see how Jesus sees the church? The depth to which he gave his life? For the church, the same, and and, and part of the people that he died for were some of the same people at first who said crucify him. But yet he still died for them. He still loved them. And I know, I know church hurt, that's a different kind of hurt. That hits different. I know I know you've been hurt in church, but you can't give up on the church. Jesus died for her. Jesus loves her. And I think, I think since I'm already out there, let me go a little bit further. Now, I, I'm not talking to anybody who is making decisions based on this pandemic. That, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about to the rest of y'all. We got to stop treating church, the people of God, and the gathering of the people of God like it's optional. We we got to stop finding other things or what you would say better things to do when it's time to gather as the people of God. Jesus died so that we could gather. You do know the definition of church. By definition, it means to assemble, to gather And so this whole idea of I can have church in my living room in my pajamas, that's Gates of Hades talk. That ain't church. I'm talking to everybody. Not just the people behind the camera. I'm talking to everybody. Because y'all will go to the lake real quick in a hurry. I'm not against the lake. I don't like water, but I, y'all can go. <laughs> Either be back by Sunday morning or go after Sunday morning. Now, now, let me make something. I'm not making this no quick, fast, hard rule. All right? We, we are people of grace. I'm using that as an example of how we always find better things to do. And so the fact that Jesus says, I've given you authority. That the, being a, a follower of Christ, being a member of the church at large and locally comes with responsibility. And with responsibility, friends, comes accountability. Jesus will hold us accountable for what he's given us as responsibilities. We are now key holders. I didn't tell y'all this, because it really wasn't that big of a deal, but a few months ago, there was an accident right here at 13th and Grove. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. Someone had an accident, and they ran into our building, actually. And this little storage area here, down here, yeah, right behind the stairwell where the door is and everything, they hit that. They ran into it. And so there was, quote-unquote, damage done to the building. 
Now, at 3 o'clock, y'all know what y'all pastor's doing? <laughs> exactly. I'm asleep. And at 3 o'clock, that's when I'm doing my good sleeping. <laughs> it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, at first I'm like, what in the world is BJ doing? I'm like, man, that, <laughs> I'm sleeping too hard now, you know. And so I'm just, I'm laying there. I'm like, wait a minute, some, something, something's wrong. And really what I want to do, don't y'all tell nobody, okay? Really, I want to be like, Connie, go see what's happening. Connie, <laughs> 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 <Kinda> go. <laughs> you, somebody, somebody wants you. <laughs> I got your back. I'm be way back, but I got your back. <laughs> now listen, what y'all, I'm gonna let y'all into since I already put y'all in my bedroom. Lynn, she sleeps hard, deep. Like, like you can come right next to Lynn and be like, Connie. <sighs> she ain't heard nothing. She doesn't wake up until she hears me, feels me get out of the bed. And I'm hearing this. I'm like, that's a popo knock, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, you know? <laughs> I'm like, what kind of idea now? <laughs> and so, y'all, I get up, I get up, and I, you know, and I finally, I'm like, I'm trying to make sure, I'm like, am I presentable? No. But so anyways, I'm like, I'm, I'm peeking my head around the door, and it's flashlights. I'm like, I can't see. So you know it's the popos. Because they're the only ones that blind you at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm looking, I'm like, well, y'all knocking. I'm here. I'm just in my boxes, but we're going to do this. So I go out. They're walking away because it doesn't take me so long to get to the front door. They're walking away. I don't even know why I'm telling y'all this. I'm... And so finally, finally, thank you, finally, I say, yes, y'all need me. By the way, I'm still half asleep. It was like, yeah, um, are you the pastor of uh, the church at 13th and Grove? I think so. <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning. Well, there was an accident there. And I'm, oh, Lord, we just, we just remodeled the church. Now, my mind is going all kinds of places. I'm still half asleep. I'm like, Lord, we just remodeled that church. What is happening? And, and they're telling me there was an accident. They ran into the building. Oh, and, and then they finally tell me, but it wasn't that much damage. It's like, okay. I'm like, how y'all find me? <laughs> they said, well, we have a database, and you're listed as the key holder. I went all that around just to tell y'all that being a key holder means you have responsibility, even at 3 o'clock in the morning. There is no time I'm not the key holder. Until the elders fire me, but that hurts my illustration. We are always key holders. And when that comes responsibility, and sometimes that responsibility is not fun. Sometimes it means that there's damage done. And you need to know so that you can rectify it. And that's what sin does. It does damage to the body. And being a key holder means that we've got to deal with that damage. Y'all worrying about the building. Y'all like, is it okay? It's fine. It's fine. Worship team, you can come back now. If I were, Pastor Josh Black is preaching this same message, and he has titled it The Big Reveal. And that's what we have, the big reveal. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Friends, what will you do with this Jesus? Will you have no faith in him, little faith in him, or will you be one of great faith? Will you uphold your responsibility in the church? You have the authority as key holders, you have the ability, we as the church has the ability to bind, to bind and to lose, to permit and forbid. By the way, 
The way the language is, it says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. The, the, the way the Greek really reads it is, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. So it's not like we make decisions and heaven stamps them. It's no, heaven has already made the decision and by the Holy Spirit, you now render that same decision. We do the work of the kingdom of heaven. And so with that comes a responsibility. Would Jesus call you responsible? This is something Connie and I are dealing with right now. BJ 16, he's got his restricted license and now he has a car. Amen. The question, now, BJ, we, he has been given the benefit of the doubt that he's responsible. And so with responsibility comes privileges. With that responsibility also comes accountability. He was given the key to the car. And y'all, he was able to finally drive the church by himself so he didn't have to stay 45 minutes after service while his daddy greets everybody. And so now he has privileges with that responsibility. We have found him for now to be responsible. The question for is, us is when Jesus looks at us, he said, you are a responsible member of my church. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard. God, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are our savior. And we honor you and we give you glory and praise. Father, if there's someone in this room or on this stream right now who, who has not trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will begin to do a work in their hearts, convict them, convince them, and convert them. So that they come crying, what must I do to be safe? And they hear clearly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is building his church and we stand on his shoulders and we trust in that his word that he said he's building it. And not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. So God, we receive that authority. We receive the responsibility. In Christ's name, amen. Let us stand.